You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. It's hard to say which is worse, the denial of miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the fleshly counterfeit of them. But the devil doesn't care which side of the boat he throws you over just as long as you get soaking wet. Keep in mind, wherever God's people minister the truth, whether it be through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, whether it be through the workings of miracles, whether it be through the teaching of the word, Satan will send a counterfeit to oppose the work. Satan is crafty and will try to deceive us with bogus gifts and miracles that mimic the workings of God. Will you recognize the difference when he tries to trick you? Today, Pastor Dave warns us to make sure that we are grounded in the truth of God's Word so that we will be able to recognize Satan's schemes. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 19 as he continues his message, Do You Believe in Miracles? We shouldn't be surprised at this. In the book of Acts, many, many, many miracles are recorded. Dr. Luke takes great pains in recording these miracles in the exact way that they happen. I mean, it's pretty neat. We started back in Acts 2.43 when it says the apostles were given the power to do many signs and wonders. It's pretty cool because if you go with the Greek word for signs and wonders, it's semignon, meaning supernatural miracle. They've been given the powers, the dunamis power by the Holy Spirit. Then we saw Peter and John come to the gate beautiful. They came to the gate beautiful, and there was a man who had been laying, asking for alms. And Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, reaches down and grabs this guy. He grabs him by the robe, and he said, silver and gold I don't have. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he actually lifts the guy up. And the verbiage in Luke says that as he lifted him up, the bones of his feet actually reconnected in a medical way, giving him the ability to stand and leap and jump. Wow. I wonder who was more surprised, the guy or Peter. I don't know which one. I mean, it must have been a fantastic time, but, but this wasn't done on a whim. This wasn't some promotional event. Peter didn't go on tour after this and go, hey, I got the power of hearing. Come on up. You need to be healed. Let's go. Come on over here. This was something that the Holy Spirit gave him to do at that time. It was something that he, he knew that God wanted him to do it because he sat there. God gave Peter this supernatural power and trusted him to do this. And Peter trusted him explicitly. Peter asked the impossible of this man. This man had never walked. Never walk. Sometimes the Lord asks the impossible of us. Sometimes the impossible for us that the Lord asks us to do is to simply believe 
in the time of adversity. Believe when all the circumstances are stacked up against you. Your marriage is falling apart. You're being fired from work. You can't find a job. You have no money to pay the bills. Your kids are going crazy. All kinds of stuff has happened in your life. And he says, trust me on this. I got it. What? Trust me. Surely there's got to be something I have to do. I have to go out and work and fix this thing and do this and do that. No, no, no. What you have to do is you have to trust me because I'm in control here. That may seem impossible to some people. That may seem impossible to some people because you know in your heart, I've got to be able to fix this. No, no, sometimes you can't fix it. It's a no-fix situation, and only God can fix it. And when we trust in him, when we give him our lives and say, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you 100% here. I'm not sure what the outcome looks like, but I know according to your word, it's going to be good. So I trust in you. Then he says, okay, I've been waiting for that. And he takes over. And the miraculous happens. People are saved. Marriages are, are restored. Children come back from being prodigals. Jobs appear out of nowhere. Bills get paid. Finances don't seem to have a problem. Illnesses are healed. That's miraculous. Those things are miraculous. When you open the refrigerator door and there's nothing in there, and somebody knocks on your door from out of nowhere and gives you an envelope and says, I think the Lord wanted me to give this to you. Or when somebody sticks their head in a mailbox and yells, Jesus loves you. I told you that story a long time ago. Guy was driving down the street. All of a sudden, heard the Lord tell him, stick his head in the mailbox and yell, Jesus loves you. Stick my head in a mailbox. No, stick your head in a mailbox and say, Jesus loves you. And as he's driving now, he's driving through a neighborhood that he's never been in before. And he kept on over and over and over. Stick your head in the mailbox and say, Jesus loves you. Stick your head in the mailbox and say, Jesus loves you. Okay. So he stopped the car. Now he's mad. He gets out of the car and he walks up to the first mailbox. He says, opens it up, shoves his head in here and goes, Jesus loves you. Closes the mailbox and he gets back in his car. And just as he got back in his car, the door opens. This guy comes running out and he goes, okay, Lord, here we go. I'm going to get the snot beat out of me because here comes this guy because I'm yelling, Jesus loves you. And this guy comes running out and the guy's in tears, crying. He looks at the guy and he says, wait, 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 and stops the guy. And he rolls down the room and he says, did you just say that? He said, yeah. He said, no, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. Let me show you something. He goes back and brings a rope out that had a hangman's noose in it. He says, I'm in the shower. I've got this hangman's noose around my neck, and I'm going to hang myself because every, my life is terrible. And I'm just ready to knock the stool out and kill myself, and I hear somebody say, Jesus loves me. I want to know this Jesus. Ah, coincidence. Coincidence. Many of us believe that the Lord is able to do the impossible. You just said that. But do you believe that the Lord is willing to do the impossible? It's easy to say, Lord, I know you can. I know you can. This is when our faith starts to waver. This is when our faith starts to go, The trouble is often we believe that we will, but our faith wavers. We don't question his ability, but we question his willingness. Sometimes we just need a point of faith. Sometimes we need a little point of faith. A Corson said this, quote, God has given us certain physical expressions to help trigger our faltering faith. These are called point of faith. Let me give you a couple of examples. What do they look like? Well, first of all, the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands. 
You, you might lay hands on healing. You might lay hands for receiving the Holy Spirit. You might be sending out ministry and we lay hands on you and, and, and commend you to the Lord. Now, there's nothing magical or mystery about laying on a hands. We're following biblical precedents, but there's nothing even miraculous. But it becomes a point of faith, a point of faith that helps a person who needs to be filled or desires to be healed. It gives them a point of faith. Let me give you another example. There's a lady who had an issue of blood for 12 years. She tried every doctor she could try. She tried every home remedy. She did everything she could possibly do, but nothing seemed to work. For 12 years, she had an issue of blood. In those days, if you had an issue with blood, that meant you were unclean. You couldn't be around people. You had to be secluded someplace by yourself. She hears someone talking. You know, Jesus is coming to town. Jesus? I've heard things about Jesus. I heard he can heal. I heard he can do the miraculous. I got to have a face-to-face with him. But you're unclean. Oh, I got to have a face-to-face with him. She goes to where Jesus is coming, and the crowd is huge. The crowd is all around him. I'll never see him. I'm going to have this issue of blood for the rest of my life. I'll never see him. I'm unclean. People are going to stone me for even being here. What can I do? What can I do? If I just touch the hem of his robe, if I just get through the crowd and touch the hem of his robe, that was her point of faith. It wasn't the robe. It was the one who was in the robe. It was the one who wore the robe. But she believed in her heart that if she just touched that, that hem, if she just touched that, she'd be healed. You know the story. She touched it. And what happened? She was healed. She was healed. Many of you probably have seen the, the movie from the 50s called The Robe with Richard Burton. Was there a point in there after he has the robe that Jesus wore? There's a point in there where Caligula gets the robe, and Caligula has the robe, and he has one of his servants kill another man right in front of him. And he takes the robe, and he puts it on him and says, Now rise, now run. He does all this stuff. It's not the robe. It was the one who was in the robe. It was the one who we believe in. It was Jesus Christ. Likewise, we're told in James 5 to anoint with oil. The oil has no miraculous power. It does represent the Holy Spirit, but it's a point of faith. It's a point of faith in which it helps trigger our faith to believe in our study. That's what's happening today in Ephesus. Look at verse 12. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were bought from his body, that's Paul, to the sick and diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. The Greek word here used for handkerchief is so darn, you know. It means a towel that is used to wipe the sweat off your brow when you're working. It's a sweatband. It's a gnarly old nasty sweatband. He had aprons that he used to wear. And he would work, and he would do his tent making, all this kind of stuff, and he would lay this thing down. And someone would take it. And they'd go out and they'd find somebody who was sick or somebody who had an evil spirit. And they'd give them this thing and they'd lay it on top of them and they would be healed. It was a band of sweat. It was a band of sweat, but they became a point of faith. It triggered a faith in Jesus Christ and Christ was doing it. How could Paul take credit for that? How could Paul say, look what I did. I think I'll sweat more, more so we can have more sweatbands. I'll go in a sweatband ministry. That's what we'll do. We'll set it up. Put everybody in a dark room. We'll turn up the temperature real hot. And as they sweat, we'll wipe it off and we'll put those babies out there. By the way, have I sold you my prayer cloth yet? Well, you didn't get one in the mail yet? I'll have to get your address. I'll send you one. 
It's a trigger of Paul's faith. Paul's not taking any credit for it. God was working miraculous and he was using Paul's sweatbands to trigger these people's faith. If this doesn't constitute a miracle, then I don't know what a miracle is. There can be no question that miracles were a prominent part in the ministry of the early church. There's no question. We can all agree to that. But it might bring up the question is, why don't we see more miracles today? Why don't we see these miraculous things? Many people, the first thing they want to do is they want to blame God. They want to blame God. God doesn't do miracles anymore. Miracles stop with the apostolic age. Nobody does miracles. He doesn't use people like that anymore. Now, often the theory is, is that God used miracles as a means to help the church get firmly planted. It gave the apostles credence in their word. The people looked at them. It gave them a point of reference. And that's, that's true. That's very true. People think that once the church was established and the church was able to build cathedrals and seminaries, they no longer needed supernatural powers. But then they could persuade men the gospel of Christ by intellectual pursuit from educated ministers. I contend with you that if the purpose was to convince the skeptical world of the reality of the gospel, what better time than the present to do miracles when we have a world out there that is nothing but skeptical, questioning, non-believing, We need more miracles now than we've ever need. Don't blame God for the lack of miracles. You know who I blame? Man, I blame us. I blame us for the lack of miracles. I believe that God doesn't change. God never changes. I believe the Bible is full of miracles, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Miracles were very prominent in Jesus' life. He often spoke of his works as bearing witness of the truth and giving power to his message. There is no scripture that I can read that tells me in the slightest way that miracles ceased from operations at the death of the apostles. In fact, in Mark 16, 17, Jesus even said that miraculous signs would follow believers, not just the disciples and the apostles. Miraculous signs would follow the believers. Last week we mentioned that after he was put out of the synagogue, the Apostle Paul continued teaching in the school of Tyrannus during his off hours. Paul would work at tent making, making the most of the day. Then he would teach his disciples. Some said that from 7 in the morning to 11 a.m. he taught disciples. From 11 to 4 he worked. And then he came back at 4 to 9 and taught disciples again. Remember, Paul was in Ephesus for almost three years. And he did this continuously. This was his schedule. Paul had the heart of an evangelist. Paul had the heart of a pastor. Paul had the heart of a missionary. I like to say, Paul invested in the wise theory. The wise theory. W, win some for Christ. I, instruct those in Christ. S, send some for Christ. And E, encourage those through Christ. It's the wise method. This is what Paul did. Paul made tents all day long. Taught regularly his disciples day and night. And then he went back to making tents. Paul did this while watching over God's people. He did this while evangelizing, while preaching the gospel, while planting churches, directing missionary activities. What a servant of God. You want to know what the type of man God uses? God uses this type of person who unselfishly gives him himself night and day for the furtherance of the gospel. So is it that we believed in miracles, but we don't believe that men are used any longer in this capacity? I believe with all my heart that God wants to do the miraculous today. Unfortunately, there are those who would exploit the church. There are those who would tout their gift of miracles or healings. There are those who would use these for profit. These men worked up their gifts and they hype it up and they want to make everything 
seem perfect, but they're charlatans. They're looking for personal gain. They appeal to the flesh, and they prime to pump, and they cause so much damage. Some of you may have been damaged by this type of activity. Some of you may have been damaged by this. They often bring a superiority in others. Oh, you don't believe? You don't have faith. You weren't healed? You don't have faith. That's their excuse. Does this bring glory to our God? Does this bring glory to the one who is able to do these things, who is able to do miracles? There are those that contend that the God does not do miracles anymore or that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are no longer valid in today's church. The working of miracles is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You can find that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The working of miracles. At least that's what it says in the New King James. David Guzik said this, It's hard to say which is worse, the denial of miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the fleshly counterfeit of them. But the devil doesn't care which side of the boat he throws you over just as long as you get soaking wet. Keep in mind, wherever God's people minister the truth, whether it be through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, whether it be through the workings of miracles, whether it be through the teaching of the word, Satan will send a counterfeit to oppose the work. Jesus taught about this truth in the parable of the tares in Matthew 13. Peter experienced this in Samaria in Acts 8. Paul experienced the pathos in Acts 13. Satan imitates whatever God's people are doing. And because he knows that the unsaved world cannot tell the difference. Look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 and 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, there is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Paul was not selling these handkerchiefs for profit. They were borrowing them and applying to the sick. And God, being a God of incredible patience and grace, met these folks on their own level with a bona fide miracle. I believe in all my heart that God is looking today for those kind of hearts that he can show himself strong on behalf. I believe that 2 Chronicles 16.9 is still just as true today as it was back when it was written. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. See, the power of God is released through a man or a woman whose heart is so utterly committed that he or she is ready to invest diligent labor to make the gospel available, even if they need to stoop to a lowly trade like Paul did. Do you believe in miracles? Well, maybe you don't. Surely the New Testament tells us two things about miracles. Number one is that Christian ministry is marked by them. But number two, and maybe more important, Christian ministry doesn't focus on them. It's not the focus of our ministry. There's a delicate balance that many get wrong. Some people make no place for miracles. Others act more interested in miracles than they do in Jesus Christ. And this is a major problem. It is to these type of people that Jesus was speaking to in Matthew 12. They all wanted him to do another miracle. They all wanted him to do signs and wonders. And they kept on bathing him. Do signs and wonders. Do signs and wonders. Do signs and wonders. Jesus had already given them plenty of signs. He'd given them plenty of wonders. But they didn't believe. Their hearts were hard. They wanted more. See, that's the problem when you see signs and wonders. You always want more. If you're following signs and wonders, guarantee, trust me, you'll never get enough. 
You'll always want more signs and wonders, and one will never be enough. I don't care how many you see, it'll never be enough. This guy over here, he's got signs and wonders. Oh, wait a minute, this guy over here. And you'll be running all over the world trying to get your sign and wonder from this, these people who come in. I know friends who do this. Oh, you got to go to this person. They, they, they're, they're, they're it. They're the latest thing. You got to get there. You got to get blessed by this person. Oh, you got to get by this one, that one. And they're all over the place. It's never enough. It becomes like a drug. You can get addicted to these signs and wonders and you never get enough. How did Jesus reply to them? How did Jesus reply to these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these people who were constantly looking for signs and wonders? He called them an adulterous generation. He says, you seek for a sign, you adulterous generation. But Jesus says, there's a sign that's going to be given. There is a sign. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of earth. Jesus was speaking about the resurrection, his resurrection. Has there ever been a greater miracle than the resurrection of Jesus Christ? One commentator I read put it this way. Isn't the resurrection of Jesus Christ a great enough miracle? If God raised Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave and demonstrated it to the public, why do we need anything else? He's got a point. It's a great way to look at it, a great way to see it. I believe in miracles. I believe I'm a miracle. I believe my salvation is a miracle. Every time I look at my salvation, I'm in awe at the miracle that God did in my life. I look back at what I used to be and look back at what I am now, and I see God's miracle. I've seen God do miracles in your lives, maybe little small ones, maybe big ones. I've seen it with my eyes. You can't convince me that there aren't miracles today. We can argue all you want, but you can't convince me that there aren't miracles today. I believe them. I believe we're responsible for opening ourselves up to these miracles that God wants to do. I think it's okay to even pray for them. I know many of you prayed for the sick. Many of you have prayed for your friends, salvation for your prodigals, problems that you have. We want miracles in our life. I also believe that we're responsible for praising God when we see these miracles, for giving God the glory and giving God the honor for what he does in our life because it's not by a person. It's not by a man. It's not by a prayer. It's by God Almighty. It's by the Lord himself that these miracles come to. And if we ever do anything else, we need to get back on focus of what Jesus did and his thing. It's our responsibility not to demand miracles from God. We can't demand of God. We can't demand miracles. We can request. I'd like to see a miracle. I'd love to see my kids saved. What a miracle that would be to me. We can't demand God to do miracles as proof of who he is and his love for us. There's no substance. Miracles are not the substance of the kingdom of God. The substance of the kingdom of God is the one who suffered and died who was buried and rose again. And his name is Jesus Christ, and that is the substance of the kingdom of God. If you're focusing on miracles, you'll always focus on them. Get your eyes off the miracles, put them back on the one who died for you, the one who rose from the dead to give you eternal life. Put your eyes back on him, and I guarantee you'll see many miracles. If you keep your eyes focused on the one who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. You are a sure. 
You've been listening to Pastor Dave on Assure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition. Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AssureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.